0: Real Marketing Rap is brought to you by Tim Bush and me, Joe Edwards, and we talk about everything marketing. We'll tell you as it is, jargon free and no BS. We'll have guests every week from high rollers to first starters, all from different industries and disciplines within the marketing world. We're here to set the record straight with nothing but marketing realness. Hey Tim, another episode of uh, Real Marketing Rap podcast under the belt. Um, I think this episode is going to be a good one. Indeed, yeah. Obviously, I unfortunately couldn't make this episode, which was, or at least the interview. Anyway, I can obviously make the episode. I'm here right now, um, <laughs> but yeah, couldn't make this uh, this interview. But um, it was an awesome one. We had uh, Joe Weston, uh, who's a director at uh, We Are Social Sport. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, as I mentioned, obviously, I couldn't make the interview because uh, super slam with uh, building the agency, Bulldog and Maples. Things are going yep. well so far. But, good, um, glad to hear but, it. yeah, unfortunately, had to duck out at the last minute for the interview. But, um, but, yeah, it looked like a good one. Yeah, it was a good one. I mean, you know, we'll obviously get into the interview very, very shortly. But the, I think one of the things that I picked out uh, the most from that interview was apart from there's some great, uh, links that we're going to put in the show notes uh, of things to go and watch and, and see. But one of the bits that I liked, which we're all guilty for in marketing world, is looking at shiny objects slightly too much, new shiny things, and, and not really just focusing in on, on the human truth. And Joe talks about that um, really quite well, actually. And that, that was a real interesting part of this interview. But rather than me giving all the spoilers away, uh, why don't we get straight into it? Yeah, let's jump in I'll let Joe kind of uh, introduce himself but the way we met was was really on a on a project called uh, this is my house for FIBA um, and Joe and his team at we are social came up with some like amazing content for us to help promote the World Cup qualifiers uh, while we were working on that but um Joe I kind of let you introduce yourself like what you do at we are social and and your kind of career background to date maybe you can let the viewers know what you get up to
1: of course yep yeah. thanks for the uh, thanks for having me on and uh, thanks for the kind words it was a great campaign to work on with you guys uh, my name is joe weston i'm the director of we are social sport uh, we are social sport is the first specialist division of we are social which is the largest uh, social media agency in the world Um, We operate in 11 different markets with 13 offices around the world, going for about 10 years. Um, I've been at the agency for, this is my eighth year, so I'm a piece of the furniture here. Uh, Old time
0: uh, in social respects. like uh, Yeah,
1: in agency land, that is, uh, I'm a bit of a dinosaur in one agency. (laughs) But um, I joined to work on the Adidas account uh, and worked pretty exclusively on that for the first six years here. And then over time, we started to pick up more and more sporting work. So me and my creative director or group creative director, Gareth Leading, uh, pushed the business to to start our own division. Uh, It's something that I've always wanted to do. Um, I've always had ambitions of having my own agency. So this is kind of the closest I can get to that for now. Um, And it's great. We're a team of anywhere between 25 and 35 within the UK office here. Uh, We have kind of 12 live clients at the moment, Um, and we do some really interesting work across uh, what we call sponsors, brands and icons. So sponsors, obviously, people being uh, or brands who don't really have a reason to partake in sport other than that they they pay to be part of it. Um, Brands for us being Adidas and a a few others around that, so um, sort of nutrition companies and that type of stuff. And then icons is what we describe um, as kind of governing bodies, um, regulatory bodies, teams, players, um, clubs, like all of those people who are the kind of icons of the sport themselves that are increasingly trying to professionalize the way they do marketing. And then in terms of like career today, cool. so um, yeah, so eight, eight years here, I jumped around a little bit before I got here. Um, once I landed on the Adidas account, it was going to be hard to move me off it. Um, yeah,
0: I'll before bet.
1: that, I worked at an agency called Thousand Heads. Um, did a little bit. Yeah, of I know
0: those guys too. Actually,
1: yeah. Yeah, good good team there. Um, yeah. So before then, I'd done a lot of PR work, and Thousand Heads was like my kind of like an MBA in social media. That's what I kind of yeah. As I kind of, I jumped from quite straight traditional PR land into whole new world of influencers and voices and community management and um you know forum management and reddit threads and all of this kind yeah, of stuff yeah. totally new to me at the time um and i had a good time there uh, i really learned a lot but once once um once we were social came calling
0: it was uh, hard to turn them down yeah i bet i bet and what what kind of it sounds like you're fairly excited about your job but what are the bits that get you going the most um I mean it's sport right like it, it is yeah. it
1: doesn't feel like you're marketing um you know I <clears throat> we've been fortunate enough to win quite a lot of awards but I think my job is the easiest job because if you work on Colgate for example to be able to come up with a campaign that people really care about and that drives business results that is a huge huge achievement right because people don't really care about toothpaste yeah whereas I'm Most of my work has been in football. It's the world's game. That is, you know, the number one sport in the world, and people people will have more marriages than football clubs. You know, like that is the way they live their life. So to be able to work in an industry where you are just marketing to, to the most passionate fans in the world is amazing. And then outside of that, I'm just I'm just myself, just a massive sports fan. Like I almost all sport I, I could watch sport all weekend if my wife let me uh <laughs> over anything else like it, like not gaming not films possibly music but sport I could just watch it
0: all, all day so yeah um, I cool. feel like
1: I'm a bit of an expert in quite a lot of sports and to be able to apply that to my work is just brilliant
0: yeah that's cool that you're you're lucky I mean I, that's one of the things I felt where I feel lucky now with the role I've been in and you're your point is so true to the colgate thing i i never really think i've never really thought about it in a consumer environment because i came from a b2b world mm. and trying to trying to sell software is not is not the easiest thing i always found it really interesting to try and how do i make something interesting that is you know not really that exciting or interesting or nobody really cares about and you're right it is a lot easier to to market i think one of the things that i think is really important is how we can Challenge that a bit more. Like, mm-hmm. I, I worry that when you've got an exciting product, it makes you a lazy marketer. And I think actually that's where we should all be trying to do more in the industry is like, how can we make this stuff more exciting than it already is? Yeah. um But you're right, our job is easier when it's sports and somebody cares about it. And I yeah. didn't know that stat about the marriage thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> <yeah>. that's amazing. <laughs> but um, it's, what you say is absolutely true. So, what we
1: the proposition that we have with We Are Social Sport is to rewrite the rules of sports marketing. Uh, and the reason we do that is like the simplest way to describe it is if I see another version of the Crossbar Challenge, like the job's up, like there's just absolutely, it's lazy, lazy marketing, right? Yeah. The so Challenge is now 20 years old and was invented by Soccer AM wow. and I still see a tire company putting their tire up in a goal or a coffee company putting a coffee mug on the top of a crossbar. Yeah. Like, still being done. And it's like sport, we have such a big opportunity to do much better stuff. We always talk about guys in tyres making boring decisions. Like, and that's what a lot of sports marketing is. It's like like the boardroom of people who are safe in their job safe in the ways of working and then they keep doing the same job same work over and over again and we're here to try and like shake that up and try and
0: do something new nice i love that that kind of attitude overall sort of moving on uh, maybe a little bit now is and uh, maybe a slightly more boring subject is like social data how are you seeing sports organizations using using data? well using social data and, and data in general i guess
1: yeah um, so, it, it, you get a wide scale on this kind of stuff. So yeah. What we find at the kind of big global brand level is that uh, over the last few years, social data has just become another indicator amongst the wider analytics mix. Yeah. So social data in isolation can be interesting, it can provide some consumer insights. Um, we as a business, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for what are those unique conversations that are happening that can help drive a strategy or drive creative creativity. Um, in terms of like measuring performance, as if you're combining it with some of the other metrics that you're tracking, whether that's um, net promoter score, brand uplift, or even through to sales and revenue, that's when it becomes really interesting On in isolation, not particularly, but when yeah. you combine it with the others, it becomes quite powerful. Within sports, there's a few interesting things going on at the moment, so what we find is that um, rights holders in particular um, are starting to experiment with visual search, so um, the ability to spot your logo and apply a commercial value to it yeah. through online tools um, is becoming increasingly prevalent. So. If you are uh, Real Madrid and you've got 15 different sponsors, how can you ensure that each of your sponsors are getting value for money? Well, they're starting to track logo usage across the web. Um, Because it used to be that you track hashtags and mentions, but increasingly the web is becoming visual, so you need to be able to search that way. Sure. Be interested to see what happens with voice as well, whether that can be tracked and measured in a different way. Um, And then when you get to the kind of level of like clubs or federations, I think a lot of the uh, social data is just um, being used to calculate value back to your sponsors. So um, you are trying to build up an engaged audience so that you can then monetize that audience through increased deals with new sponsors. Um, I went to a talk last year at the Sports Broken Sports Pro Brand Conference, and Southampton were talking in depth about how they um, are overachieving in terms of growing as big audience size relative to their like registered supporter number Their social yeah. is really strong and for them it's like a massive opportunity to mitigate on-field performance and still grow sponsorship revenues yeah um, so we think that's where we're seeing it seeing it kind of most uh, frequently used however the issue there is that uh, we live in an algorithm-based world and if one um, you know you might be tracking uh, metrics look around organic growth or organic eng- engagement or um, kind of like visibility as a metric, well, that can change at the top of a hat, right? We saw a dramatic drop in organic reach over the last year. There was one specific moment, middle of last, early last year, where it fell off a cliff. Yeah. So if you're investing all of your marketing budgets into growing these audiences and therefore the reach that comes with that, it could be
0: risky. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure I really answered the question, but we kind no, of no, no, no. That's, that's it's some, yeah. Some an- good anecdotal insight there, really, around what is going on. The whole kind of relying on on uh, social channels and making sure you've got this good blend of everything. I think's uh, just going to become a bit more more important. Yeah. Um. Definitely. What about um? I think one of the things that's interested me over the again. So you know, I'm still fairly new in this sports game, relatively speaking. Um, and one of the things that's kind of popped up on my radar is the way that you know players are becoming more media centric. So again, big. I'm a big basketball fan. So for me, it's like LeBron with uninterrupted. People like Kobe winning Oscars. Like, do you know? Have you got any thoughts about you know what the impact's going to be on traditional rights, where it could go next? Um, well. You know,
1: I think what could be
0: interesting is um, the
1: U.S. tends to lead in this world. Um, You know, when you look at NBA and the access that they get to, you know, courtside interviews, changing room, locker room interviews, all that kind of stuff, that is like off off the cards for most of um, British sports, European sports. Um, The locker room's always been sacred. Um, Players distrust the media a lot more. Um, And you don't get as many personalities, but it does seem like that's changing. So um, there was a few things when you kind of mentioned this question, there was a few things I thought of. And one of them um, is the impact that I would I'd say that a bigger impact is someone like Raheem Sterling. And uh, I think when you have someone like LeBron, that is a once in a generation talent who is incredibly media savvy in a highly saturated media market where access is king. Yeah, I think when you look at the the UK, um, we don't necessarily have that same level of kind of stardom. But Raheem Sterling is approaching it in a different way, which is that he's using his own media brand to take control of the narrative around him as a person. Yeah. So in the past, um, press coverage used to be a thing that happened to you, um, whereas now it is a thing that you control. And, you know, obviously he's been supported well, by the England setup and Gareth Southgate in particular, but the way that he's managed to effectively just turn the story around from the press being on his back, um, the undertones of kind of racist coverage coming through, and the way that he's now taken control of that conversation and is shaping it for not only himself but other players is a really interesting and positive way that players becoming more media centric is a good thing. Yeah. The other thing that I think is interesting is when you look at the ongoing arms race for access. So there was recently an Antoine Griezmann documentary that's gone live on Netflix. And my kind of cynical head uh, said, he's 28 or 29. Yes, he's won a World Cup. He's still very active in his career. He's probably got at least four years at the top level playing. He's not that good. Yeah. (laughs) One of the best players in the world, like without a doubt, but he's not a LeBron and he's not like, uh, you know, Messi or Ronaldo. He's he's one tier below and he's now got a full length documentary out on Netflix. That's interesting. We know that there's a Sergio Ramos documentary coming. um, And it seems to me that actually uh, the kind of, Platforms like DAZN, Netflix, Amazon Prime, um, all the OTT suppliers, um, and then behind that, all of the traditional suppliers are just in this arms race for access to tell these stories, um, and that's just being supported by players taking more control over their image rights. Yeah. So increasingly, you're seeing the decoupling of um, right, like rights within your contract for employment and rights that you have as yourself for yourself as a business and it's only going to continue to push in that way i think what other sports need that basketball has a lot of are characters because um they seem to be more and more the the younger guys that are coming through seem to be more media savvy media centric and and seem to be better behind in front of a camera
0: but as is not the same as in basketball where the characters are huge and they, they, they've grown up with cameras around them. Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, there's also the personalities bits interesting and it's it's you feel like the, the audience are driving some of this in that they want, yeah, we've got to produce this stuff and we've got to get the access to it. But actually there's a want for people to understand more about these players more than just Yep. What they're doing on on the pitch or or on the court, mm. um, so I think that's kind of interesting. Everyone does seem to really want to understand the lifestyle and the history you know, of these players and what they got up to, and a, a little bit more than just yeah the pitch basically.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's more linked to that Raheem Sterling point. It's like they're taking control of telling them those stories themselves. So um, they're one of the best pieces if anyone is interested is uh, Romelu Lukaku did a Players' Tribune article and it's just one of the most fascinating insights to a highly intelligent elite athlete Um, and you know the coverage around Lukaku is really mixed he is one of the best strikers in the Premier League but seems to get quite a lot of stick but he's got an amazing like story I think he speaks like seven languages um, he's been a child prodigy from the age of like 14 onwards. Everyone knew who he was. Um, but yeah, that Players' Tribune article completely took ownership of his story and kind of elevated him to a, a new level.
0: So yeah, yeah it was, it's, it's really interesting to see. I'm definitely going to go read that one uh, pretty much as soon as I get off this uh, podcast. Yeah. So definitely doing that. Um, what has been one of your like favourite social campaigns? Clearly not anything to do with a crossbar. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, but yeah what what have you seen like and again it might not be from sports it might be something else um I always hate this question um because I always struggle
1: (laughs) um so I am quite an odd person in that I knew very 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 early on that I wanted to work in an agency in London in advertising And I don't really know what it was that sparked it. But I think uh, even when I was really young, adverts had like a real impact on me. And so I can still remember to this day, like the early PlayStation campaign, where they started to basically see the little logos that look like hieroglyphics, which is the triangle, square, X and circle. And they just started to drop them around. And then they had that really weird ad with like the alien girl. And I remember just thinking, this is like so exciting and amazing. Like, how do I do that? And then the one after that that really captured was um, there was a, a Nike campaign called the Secret Game, yeah. and it was where they played Scorpion football on this kind of like um, prison island out in out in sea. And I remember Edgar Davids doing this one particular trick in the the, the sort of TV advert. I just tried to recreate over and over again as a kid. Like uh-huh. that moment on, I just kind of knew that I was into into advertising. Um, the other one that actually i was talking to my creative director about this about how to answer this question and uh the one that he wanted to mention that i'd totally forgotten about his belly's gonna get you by okay book. um and that just that really visual image of someone running down the road with a massive fat belly chasing <laughs> off it's just <laughs> like, amazing it's absolutely amazing amazing um, uh, and then a shout out just for a piece of work that we did that, um Hugely, hugely proud of was um, we uh, announced Pogba moving to Manchester United by producing a music video between Pogba and Stormzy. Yeah, and I'm really proud of it, and also really quite cringed by it because on the one hand, it's our best piece of work; it's something that we're quite known for, and and something that really captured the zeitgeist at the time. It started a whole debate around uh, you know player culture. Um, race, uh, new marketing, all of that kind of stuff. Um, the reason I'm not so proud of it is because it then st- sparked this kind of start of uh, some of the worst transfer video announcements <laughs> you've ever seen ever. <laughs> um, so I feel slightly part, uh, responsible, but uh, I am also very proud of that work. Yeah. So they're yeah. probably the ones. And then, uh, actually, one other one that I'd shout out um, was uh, a Guinness ad. Uh, and not white horses but i really like the guinness ad with the guy i think it's in like an italian uh little um village and he starts pouring the pint and he goes out and swims around the um the harbour side and then gets back just in time for the pint being poured i remember that being like stunning and a real nice insight about the uh the product itself
0: yeah got you yeah that is nice
1: yeah can uh, I, ask, can, I ask, can I do one more just quickly yeah so what, yeah go from yeah. um one of the things that we uh one of the kind of principles of Real associate we believe in people not platforms so someone always will always say like what's the best Instagram campaign you've seen and that's not how we think we think people first so where is a community active how do they act what do they use and then that's the starting base for campaigns one of the most interesting ones that I've seen recently was um it was uh, an actually campaign that uh, was around deforestation in Poland. So yeah. this famous um, forest, um, and there was lots of illegal deforestation happening, and no one really knew about it. Um, so the campaign, uh, what they did is they uh, they recreated the whole forest and created it as a level in. Minecraft I think um, and rebuilt it all completely and then launched it um, and it became one of the most popular levels within Minecraft and then on Twitch they started to uh, obviously all these games are being streamed but then over time they started to take away the trees um, without people knowing and it created a huge uproar because people had their levels being changed and people were losing hiding spots and all that kind of stuff. And then it got to the point where there was only one tree left, and it just turned into this huge social movement to try and petition the government to stop this illegal deforestation. Um, and I just love that sense of like, in finding a community that are really active, providing them with something that's amazing that they can play with,
0: and then using that to create a social movement is like, yeah, brilliant. That's, that's brilliant. And actually, just to add another one in, because we can. And that really reminded me of another campaign that I saw. I think it was uh, probably one of your competitors, Ogilvy, did. And this is quite a long time ago. But they, um, uh, I think they're out, it was UAE, and they were looking for graphic designers. And the way that they tried to um, advertise for the role was actually on all these pirate download websites. And they put a fake Photoshop file out there. Which yeah. obviously all these all designers want. Uh, back then, when you could do it, yeah. would they would download this fake Photoshop file, which it wasn't. It was a video saying we're looking for designers like you. If you come and join us, we'll give you a copy on your laptop and on your personal laptop of of Photoshop. Yeah. So a real clever way of like trying to hack a kind of network and yeah. and attract them in a in a different way. I thought that was a really Clever kind of recruitment campaign. Yeah,
1: I wanted to launch a pair of Reebok Classics on the dark web.
0: Yeah, there was that
1: stat around what was it like the most common footprint outside of robbery or a burglary is the Reebok Classic. And I thought if we could launch it launch the latest pair of Reebok Classics on the dark web,
0: that'd be amazing. Nice. That would be nice. That would be. <laughs> I guess there's a few people at a Reebok that might have a little yeah, an issue. <laughs> yeah uh cool man uh so back into the questions just a little bit so i guess i was going to say like what are the most important metrics in social and sports but really you know we're all intelligent enough marketing people to, to know that metrics are relevant to the kind of activation or what you need to do but may, maybe what are some of when you're working with clients what are the ones that are important to them across some of the activity you drive with with them
1: um so it kind of depends on what sector they're in so typically we do a lot of work with the champions league um not necessarily direct with uefa but with quite a few of their sponsors so we work with pepsi playstation adidas um and i'm forgetting someone can't that's really bad um but we might have three or four uh, champions league campaigns happening at any one time um and typically what you find when you're working on big sort of uh, big global events is the share of voice amongst sponsors is what people are kind of looking for um so that as your kind of like north star metric then breaks down into you know reach uh, engagements you know all of the kind yeah. of um, interactions effectively that you that you could uh, imagine um, that is quite surface level um, it's quite good to produce the trade release at the end of your sponsorship to say that you were the most talked about brand at the Champions League 2019-20 um, as I kind of mentioned earlier where it gets more sophisticated is when you start to find a link between the interactions that you can generate through social media and your um you know net promoter score or your brand uplift or and then because what we've found taking a step back is that a good few years ago the client base that you would have as a social media agency was very middle management so um you know that is the kind of like uh, mid-level marketing managers at uh, client side who are trying to make a name for themselves, do something a little bit differently, get something really interesting on their CV so they can work their way up through the corporate ladder. Five years on, those clients are now in much more senior decision-making level positions. Um, some of them have now reached the board and have a very good understanding of you know what social can do, but what that means is that naturally the conversations become a lot more sophisticated about um, what does social play a role within a much wider marketing mix and what value can it provide us? So increasingly what we see is um, what used to be a very social specific KPI framework becomes much more about an end-to-end consumer journey. And you might look at different stages of a consumer journey and the different kind of purchase intent moments and try and cluster your KPIs around those bits. Um, So you start to have know 55 different indicators that are coming in from social and you start to lay them all out along the customer journey that you're tracking at that time and you start to see what can social do at every different stage to make it more likely that someone's going to purchase your product yeah. um, and then the where we're starting to get to now is that with some clients we've had such a large amount of global data over such a long period of time Um, that we can start to get into some really sophisticated modeling. So one of our clients, um, we've been working with them for years and years. We have access to about five years of data from all social channels, all markets globally. um, And it's all single source. So it's all come from one sort of system. So we know it's consistent. You know, that is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of data points. Yeah. Now, we can then start to apply some really interesting econometrics models to that data to start to understand what role socials had over the course of the last five years. Now, that's where it starts to get really sophisticated. and I think that's where it's going to going to keep going. I think when you talk about, you know, if someone is talking about likes and reach and all that kind of stuff, You need to start asking questions because really unless they're talking about one specific part of a campaign then you're not really tracking anything
0: yeah yeah cool that's uh that's helpful i definitely like the whole mapping it to this customer journey is really important as well yeah i mean
1: if you can start to understand you know it's even what we're also seeing is that some of the like traditional media principles seem to be applying to social a lot more now like um, if you look at like reach and frequency, so uh, like if you let's say you've got a wide digital ecosystem of 15 consumer facing touch points, if you can uh, get your message across to a consumer four or five times, you know, your purchase intent from that consumer just starts to incrementally rise massively. Yeah. So if we can start getting into the world where we're trying to model based on more accepted boardroom level metrics like net promoter score like reach and frequency like those type of that type of terminology all that's going to do is start to validate social metrics a lot more
0: yeah cool um so from maybe something less uh something a bit boring to something a bit more exciting what kind of kind of you know new cutting edge exciting things have you heard about in the last well as in you and cutting edge let's say the last month or so rather than last year
1: um i think there's it's an interesting question there is a tendency and i would say that i myself got burned a little bit last year uh by looking at technological developments first and societal developments secondly yeah and uh I'm thinking in particular here about things like blockchain and AI and AR, VR and all of these sort of terms that seem to just crop up.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and we spent a lot of time talking about that stuff last year. And increasingly this year, we're starting to go a bit more fundamental than that and just look at um, consumer behavior changes. Because once consumer behavior changes, you can then use tech as an enabler, but actually, yep. consumer behaviour changes is what's more interesting. So I'm someone who studied consumer behaviour and, um, uh, and it's the impact that social is having on this consumption of sport is one of the most fascinating things out there. And so if I was asked to pick something that I think is at the most cutting edge uh I would say that I recently read an article looking at Apple Sport Team. And the Apple Sport Team don't actually own any rights, really. Um, They're just in charge of ensuring that the news is distributed to people about what happened over the weekend in sport that's most relevant to them. Yeah. And what's interesting from that it's a really detailed uh, report i can send you the link to put in the article uh, to put in the podcast underneath everyone's it's worth a read from everyone but it's the idea that you don't necessarily now just have sports fans you have people who are chasing moments um and it's a little bit like house of highlights right so i'm not a huge NBA fan um through some of the work that we did together actually I kind of rekindled my love of basketball I played a lot as a kid but kind of fell out of it and then now gone back in but one of the things that is amazing within basketball is House of Highlights yeah so I immediately feel like I'm pretty plugged into what's going on in the NBA because of that now if you could take that model and apply it to if you take me for example I probably have at least five sports that I follow pretty religiously and up to 10 that I have a passing interest in and then much more outside of that. The one thing that links all of those sports together is that I'm looking for moments of brilliance and finding those moments of brilliance can be hugely time intensive as my wife well knows. Um, (laughs) But if there was starting, if you were starting to use technology to find those moments of brilliance on your behalf, that's really interesting. So one of the things that we've been talking about internally here is um, Wimbledon use IBM Watson to um, automate highlights packages, because when you've got the opening rounds of Wimbledon, like, it's hundreds of games happening, hundreds of moments, hundreds of sets, matches, points, moments like throughout. Yeah, They use IBM Watson to try and cut down the role of an editor into just like the smallest moments yeah. and then distribute that out to people. If you could apply that to the whole world of sports, so that I got a daily digest of the top ten moments across the top ten sports that I follow, that's that'd be amazing. That's I'd still follow cool. Man United for ninety minutes every weekend because that's my team. Yeah, but if I could get a digest of like all the other sports, that that'd be amazing. And I think the thinking is starting to converge in that in that world. I could someone like Dazone. Is probably in a position where they might be able to start looking at that kind of model. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: they're hoovering up right, left, right, and center. Um, it is a fragmented market. It's always going to be difficult, but I could see that happening. And I think that's a really fascinating shift. And then linked to that, just to, sorry to warp along a little bit more. Nice. All well, right, go for it. Linked to that, I do. What we're also starting to see is a lot of sports that have been. Uh, struggling uh, when it comes to sort of revenues and, and viewer figures, start to experiment with format. Um, we're starting to see, uh, like, there's a new thing called Rugby X, which is launching, which is, like, five-a-side rugby, um, played over 10 minutes indoors. Um, like, that, like, what happens if Facebook buy the Premier League uh, and they say that actually the ultimate kickoff Actually 8 30 p.m. because that's when East Coast of US is online. And do you know what? We don't actually like 90 minutes, so we're gonna make it 60 minutes instead. Yeah. Like I've heard more people talking about uh not watching 90 minutes of football over the last couple of years than I have at any stage before, I've never really heard that before. And the idea that you can start to really affect sport that's been there for hundreds of years through Different format lengths and different times is fascinating. So when you combine the, the sense of consumers looking for moments of magic or moments of brilliance uh, with shorter attention spans, increased you know AI powered uh, machine learning computing, uh, and then sports that are struggling, when those things come together, I think you can start to see some fundamental shifts in how sport yeah. is played, watched, and consumed.
0: Yeah. I think uh, I really like your point around just, you know, not jumping on the technology bandwagon and, and, and really looking at the consumer behaviour piece. And you, you're really, you're right. You know, IBM, Watson are doing it. I mean, I, I know uh, there are other kind of sports federations and organisations that are looking at a tool called WSC, which kind of automates the the clipping by mm-hmm. literally listening to the uh the volume of the crowd and the commentator to understand whether a play is good or not Mm. and then time stamping it and clipping it um accordingly so it's getting easier to produce this kind of content quicker which is important Um, again i know uh is it wta having like 3x the amount of matches they can do which means they can push out more content which means they're getting more organic growth as well so you can see all these sorts of things taking places in little pockets but not it's going to take a lot of little things to manifest itself in in one large movement but yeah it could well happen over the next five to ten years where we do see a lot of these big headline sports thinking about different ways to um, approach the audience and that is really exciting that creates new leagues and everything so yeah yeah, Yeah, it's crazy yeah um so mate it's been really interesting chatting with you um thanks thanks for your time we must catch up for a beer at some point soon um but where can people find you uh what's the the easiest way to get a hold of you
1: um twitter or linkedin so twitter um at joe weston uh and then linkedin is the same i think actually i'd need to double check i don't know what the url for that is but just find me directly with a social sport um, and then yeah head to wheelsocialsport.com to see some of our work we've just updated our showreel so it tells you who our brands we're
0: working with cool. um, so yeah check me out there brilliant thanks Joe I really really appreciate your time mate and uh, I'm going to go and hit up that new showreel now lovely, one. <laughs> lovely. Cool. Mate. nice one cheers well. mate thanks for listening to Real Marketing Rap and if you like what you heard don't forget to share the word you can follow Joe on Twitter at Brand Joe and Tim at T Bush. Big shout out to DJ Tiger Style for the music. You can check him out on DJTigerStyle.com. For more about us, join our WhatsApp group. You can check that out on realmarketingrap.com. Peace out people and keep it real till next time.